Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation, where we speak with Radley McKenzie, founder and CEO at Sino Sports Development, a China-focused international sports and education platform supporting Asian student-athletes with online and offline expertise and exposure based in Toronto. Radley is also the president of consulting firm Radley Hall International and the Toronto representative for high-tech manufacturing company Simon. To put it bluntly, there isn't a better person we know of to talk about the culture of sports development in China. We talk about China's young athletes, their parents, the infrastructure availability of courts, stadiums, and arenas, and of course, which sports are taking off versus those that have yet to and why. Enjoy. I think that it's important to recognize that there is a bit of a headwind for sports with a lot of physical contact. That said, if you think about hockey and American football and here in North America now, it's not as physical as it used to be. I don't think the days of having goon hockey players where they're trying to take your head off and no one cares about concussions and safety of the player are, are the same now. It's important to provide sports in the China market that fit. Sports like football and hockey have had a, a lot of success and, and the parents are open to it. But for the general population, it's fair to say that there is a general consensus that the more physical, the less likely that mom or dad is going to comfort it into it for their child. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Radley, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Todd. Great to reconnect. Like everybody who is not from China has this great China story. You're a Canadian guy, but you do all your business. You've got Sino Sports. Tell us about how you ended up in China, and then we can dovetail into telling us all about what Sino Sports does. <laughs> sure. I guess I got a bit of a unique China background. I first moved there back in 2000. My dad worked for the Canadian Foreign Service. He was a career diplomat. So when I was 15 years old, uh, I walked in. We were living in the States at the time, and walked in my dad's office and he tossed me a learn Chinese Mandarin uh, DVD set and uh, told me that we family was moving to Beijing. So uh, we spent three years in Beijing uh, and then uh, his consul general in Shanghai for three years after that. So uh, yeah, back then I was still in school. I attended a boarding school back here in Canada during high school and then uh, university in, in Waterloo. And that was kind of my first taste. Um, after I graduated, I decided to go back to China and, and really try to learn language and, and dive in. Um, so my parents were there. I was here. They came back here. I went over there. Made a real happy mom, as you can imagine. But uh, went back, spent a year studying Chinese, all with uh, a goal of getting in, involved with the Beijing 2008 Olympics. Uh, we saw them in 2001. We lived there when it was announced, and I could see that it was going to be a a pretty big event for, for China. And so I was able to get my Mandarin up to a point where I worked as a VIP, a corporate hospitality uh, host, uh, taking around sponsors and, and saw the opening game, uh, opening ceremony, which was an epic show. 
uh, and a bunch of gold medals and a lot of Canadian rowing. I was out with uh, Standard Charter watching all the rowing. So that took me to, to the Olympics. Uh, decided I wanted more. I uh, started working in the consulting world uh, originally with Ernst & Young uh, on, their EY, on their advisory side and then moved over to a public affairs uh, management consulting company called AFCO Worldwide. Uh, quite well-established uh, government relations firm in China, really focused on helping foreign companies deal with the Chinese government. So uh, I spent five years uh, as a consultant working across a bunch of different industries, helping them align with the Chinese government where they could. And when they weren't aligned, we, we tried to help make sure that they reminded the government all the good stuff they were doing. Um, yeah, so that gave me uh, a real strong feel for international business out of Shanghai. Came back to Canada about five years ago. And um, I'll admit I was quite eager to get a, a piece of uh, or really immerse myself in the Canadian economy and business scene. So I uh, took about a year time out from China and uh, was working with a private equity guy downtown, but um, quickly came back to my roots and, and uh, started my own business, uh, Sino Sports, which uh, you know had connect, kept me connected over the last few years. You had a couple of brothers that were going to school there. And although it was an international school, they're living full time in China. Your sister's not, you are not, but you were going back there and, and visiting a lot. What did you feel? What was your sense? What was it like, do you think, for your brothers and then for you to be a brother of a couple of guys that are kind of growing up in a very formative time in China? Is there anything kind of wise or sage or interesting you can mention about what they were going through that you noticed? Funny you mentioned, looking back on it, I think it was actually a struggle for my parents to keep track of my brothers because uh, Beijing provided so many opportunities and it was like a wild west back then. And so, uh, you know, you had some young bucks in grade school running around and, and it was, um, the world was their oyster in some ways. And so I think they really got a, a piece of, the international world, you know, they had friends from all over the place. Most of their co our, um, classmates would have been uh, either diplomat or multinational kids. And so there, there are a lot of friendships that were built with them around. Um, they got to play sports uh, at, at the real early stages. This was back when there was only rinks in the in the shopping malls in China. And uh, we used to have like run the Canadian embassy was quite involved in running the, the kids league and really was the start of hockey in China, which is pretty cool. Uh, we, we played, the ambassador's family and our family used to play uh, hockey on the moat of the Tiananmen Square, uh, of Tiananmen Square, which uh, I can assure you would not be able to do now. So uh, it, it was a little bit more raw. And um, I think my brothers grew up pretty fast just with, uh, you know, all the stimuli and, uh, and people they were meeting. That's a great segue into what you're doing now. And so, you know, I, I would like to, you know, know a little bit about Sino Sports. I've been a bit of a big sports nut. I, I still, uh, I play a lot of fantasy sports. I play a lot of real sports. You know, when I'm in China, even trying to play hockey, I'm in Dalian and there's a team I hear and I talk to the guys and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to play. They're like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I'm like, great. When do we start? Where do we play? They're like, well, we, the only, the, the only ice is in Shenyang. And I'm like, that, that's a four and a half hour drive from so that's like me from where i'm at now in the rocky mountains going to vancouver to just play hockey that seems almost ridiculous in my sense so that was you know coming over that so tell us a little bit what is the problem that you guys are trying to solve what is sino sports so 
started uh, was just looking, coming out of China as a consultant. I, I saw that sports were becoming much more popular at both the um, household level, uh, individual consumers, as, as well as the government, which is a, a strong indicator in China. And so uh, you know, I, given my track record and experience in China, I, uh, I thought that there was a lot of opportunity to help North American sports entities enter the market, succeed in the market. So uh, yeah, at the most basic level, we're looking to bring the the experience and the expertise of both coaches and institutions here in Canada to China, which is at um, really the bottom floor of, of their growth. And they um, have a strong need for the, the people that understand a sport that can teach a sport and transform it um, into the into their community. So the sports is growing. That's great. How do you penetrate? And uh, what I quickly realized was education is um, still more important than sport. So despite the families wanting their kids to be active and, and all those great things that, are, uh, that come from sport, uh, the, the education priorities and that pathway for school trumps everything. And uh, put together that here in Canada, many of our best uh, educational institutes are also quite uh, focused on sport. And so I have been pushing over the last few years to take those expertise and, and the connection between sport and education and help parents in, in China realize that using sport can help you get ahead in, in school and help you become, you know, make a team, but also be a, a better person. So we um, have been working with the top boarding schools from across Canada to help them uh, penetrate the China market and build their reputation through sport. And, and then ultimately, it helps them attract student athletes to attend these schools, uh, which is great for the families in China who want to come over to, to Canada. Because on the flip side, uh, there's there's a real problem here with understanding the China market. But it, for the families in China, there is a lot of mystery about you know what are the good coaches, what are the good schools, um, how do we go about uh, finding the best programs, summer programs, etc. And so. We're, we're approached it from both sides. We work with the stakeholders here to help them optimize and um, perform better in China and then also work with individual families and schools in, in China to connect them with the expertise and um, connections that they need. What does the landscape look like when it comes to sports in China? Okay, because... You know, as we both know, they have been somewhat hyper-focused until recently on academics. And that often didn't leave a lot of time for the arts or the sports. And they weren't that active or even that successful on the global stage when it came to sports, especially in, you know, you know, I know that it started to turn around in the 90s. But back in the eighties, they don't have exactly the history that you would, you know, um, that would behoove this. Which obviously, I think, is the opportunity of what you're the problem that you're trying to solve. But what does it look like today? What kind of support are you getting from government, or is the country getting from government for sports? What are the schools putting in, and and what are they driving? And then in this top-down family socio, you know, socio kind of uh, uh, hierarchy uh, that is kind of grandparents, parents down. Where what is their support level looking like for their kids to spend time doing this? I think you did a good job of highlighting that education is still uh, taking more space in in people's lives than the arts and the sports. 
And so we, um, th- that is certainly true. And, and there is some residual um, evidence of that. But uh, another important consideration for the audience is that uh, originally the Chinese sports development was very focused on national program development. Uh, Chinese government has always thought sports were an important uh, flagship for them globally. Very you know, similar to like ping pong diplomacy back in the day when Russia, USSR versus Canada and hockey. You know, there have been that, that typical Soviet approach to national pride and, and performing well. The only problem was that their approach to that was to select the best athletes they could find, put them in a high intensity training environment and, um, and come out with, you know, your finished product, but no real supportive ecosystem for that at a grassroots level. And uh, I think a big switch in the last decade has been um, the, the wider adoption of sport and seeing that it's not only you know, good to win gold medals at the Olympics, but there's a lot of benefits for your population. You've got uh, the health benefits, you've got teamwork, leadership, competitiveness, sportsmanship, all these things that for your general masses are, are good attributes to, to try and um, enshrine in them. And so uh, we've seen, I think there's, it's, there's two main drivers. You've got the um, household and like I said, the parents that maybe they are um, an only child, which is most often. And so their kid is spending a lot of time alone with, you know, surrounded by grandparents and parents and doesn't get to compete with other kids very much because they don't have siblings to fight for toys with, et cetera. And so um, the, the families are, are recognizing that sports are going to help their, their kid become a better future leader and uh, support you know, those ambitions. Um, and then at the same time, you've got the government who has come in quite significantly and said that uh, it, it's important to, to build to switch from the individual national uh, development plan and have uh, wider participation across uh, regions. And so you're seeing stuff like 2018, this, the state council came out with a decree to try and get the sports business to 5 trillion RMB by 2025. That's about 900 and 900 or something. Yeah. $900 billion us type of thing. Uh, and so that, that's about a threefold growth from the, where they're at now. Uh, so there's massive, uh, financial incentives. Um, you also have, uh, other metrics like participation in winter sports in the run up to the 2022 Beijing Olympics. The Chinese government has announced that they would like to have 300 million winter sports enthusiasts, which is a, a great vague term, but it's, uh, you know, that, that would include kids that are learning how to skate or, or going skiing. And, and so there's um, a combination of the real authentic benefits a family are seeing and then the guiding light of the, the government that is, is really pushing um, different governments and also schools to, to come in and establish best practices and, and training athletics departments, teams, uh, the university league is, you know, are starting to develop. And uh, all the infrastructure that to us is is second nature in, in North America, but yeah. relatively new concepts over in China. It is. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously that the government would like to uh, and maybe they sense the economic benefit of sports. 
right? As we've seen in, especially in North America and in Europe, those businesses are booming. They always have, they always will. It is a huge windfall for so many uh, who are able to do it well. And I'm sure China would like to enjoy a lot of that economic updraft as well. Can you juxtapose the the why from parents or schools Obviously, you know, like the college sports in the U.S., you, we understand their why very clearly about why it's so important for them to invest so heavily in sports. But then also the why for the kids, North America versus versus China. What do you see being maybe some fundamental differences about why kids get involved, why parents support it and why schools are enabling it? I mean, the, the why often comes down to passion. <laughs> so uh, a, a big new transition has been uh, an increased awareness of sports. So uh, it started with people hearing and seeing more of it on TV. And they're like, well, you know, look at this NBA. The, the basketball looks pretty fun. Uh, I want to go give it a try. And then they start it. And once they learn about it, they start like getting into it quite heavily. And, and then it's uh, a little bit contagious amongst their peer groups, et cetera. So uh, I'd like to think, that um, a lot of it comes from just having a, a taste of it. And once you get a taste, you, you want to drive it. But um, ultimately, I think that you know, there is a competitiveness here uh, within the schools in China now. Uh, you are starting to be able to get into better schools if you're good at sports, which in the past, it was very um, test-based, rigid uh, academics. And so sports are becoming a differentiator for them both in China and then also, um, you know, core to our business in North America, uh, applicants for uh, a lot of competitive spaces here in, in, in spots at schools are ahead of the, the line if, if they've got sports and, and they can fit in at the school well when they get here. Uh, so I think it's the, the why comes down to the competitiveness within the communities that these families live in. They, they see that uh, within schools, you want to be on the best team and, and they're the students that are you know, top performers and, and doing well because receive you know, academic benefit. The health concerns are, are real. You know, there's pollution, obesity, uh, a lot of factors now, e-sport, like too much gaming, that families are saying, wait, I want my kid to be active and, and have an active lifestyle. Yeah, the parents are starting to adopt sports as well themselves. There's 7 million marathon runners in 2019 in, in China, which is quite a large percentage of the Canadian population running marathons. And that's growing 16% a year. The fitness industry amongst parents is, is growing. What we're really focused on the team sport. So the, the family are saying, all right, my kid's alone all day. How do I get him on the field or on the court with his peers competing and learning sportsmanship, how to win, how to lose, how to compete, and um, and ultimately get ahead. So it, it's provide the on the court and uh, sports experience are providing real life benefits that uh, help the kid get ahead for sure. Quick question about the infrastructure to be able to do get on the field, get on the court, get on the ice. Um, we know that you know China is a big place geographically. So there's a lot of different weather systems in different areas, you know, from Harbin to, to Shenzhen affords different opportunities. Uh, the kids in Harbin, you know, and I think a former owner or maybe current owner of the New York Islanders is from Harbin. So he's been driving that a lot up there. You can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on that. Whereas Shenzhen and Hong Kong, you know, these are 
you know, ice rinks are in malls, as you alluded to earlier, you know, in the recording. So what from an infrastructure, how far along are they from an infrastructure point of view? Because, uh, you know, if you build it, it's not that they will come, but there's going to be competition for whatever there is currently today, because is it is it enough to satisfy the desire at this point? Government has certainly taken facilities as a priority, and you're seeing a lot of uh, mind-boggling complexes and, and multi-use sports facilities being built. For uh, one example, is on hockey, they have over five. They're aiming to build over 500 rinks by the Beijing Olympics in next year, and so there is certainly a lot of incentives. Those come through direct orders to regional governments saying, "Hey." We want you to have this many soccer fields, this many basketball court courts, and this many ice rinks uh, by this time next year, or else your job is not going anywhere. And so the, the government is quite good at uh, building the incentives into the, the overall strategic plan. There's also some interesting, like tax, um, for example, in Beijing, land use zoning, there, there's its own zoning for sports buildings, and, and you, be, you have access to preferential taxes. and land access if you're going to build a sports facility. Yeah, the, the facilities are coming. It's still a sticky point when you have cities like Shanghai and Beijing with 25 million plus people. There, uh, You need a lot of gymnasiums and, and fields to make it work, but uh, they have been uh, pushing for these and, and they are part of all the development plans right now. I'm going to take a little leap of faith in that you probably understand this like I do. And that's the importance of a celebritized leader of a sport. You know, I think Jack Ma did it and did this in tech. And I think we can easily say that Yao Ming and his career in the NBA absolutely was fundamental to the rise of basketball in China. How important in a, in a, in a culture, in a society like like China, is it to have those heroes of sport for everyone to look up to in order to drive the sport uh, from a grassroots level? Yeah, it's paramount. Uh, Yao Ming, uh, without a doubt, is the best example. But um, it, it's the same as here in Canada when the Raptors won the uh, – I live in Toronto. And when the Raptors won the NBA championship, basketball camps, demand for basketball camps went through the roof that summer because when you see it and you see, you know, it close by it, it resonates. And, and so uh, without a doubt, the, the heroes in, in China who are our sport heroes that have had the same success on the international stage, inspire the, the kids to pick up the sport themselves. Uh, there's direct correlation between the Olympic events and some of those events that they uh, have performed well at uh, then leading to, to domestic adoption. Uh, I mentioned you want fencing. So China did quite well in fencing, and, and now there's 300,000 fencers in China. They're always looking, each sport's looking for, for that Yao Ming. Uh, hockey, there's been a couple early names, in particular, uh, Andong Song, who was the, the first NBA or first Chinese guy drafted to the NHL. He hasn't proven to be the, the perfect uh, ambassador. He, he's a great guy and uh, will play strong, heavy hockey, but he's not going to be an NHL superstar. So that, that was kind of right, right place at the right time. The truth is that as you know, time is on their side and as more players start playing when they're young and, and uh, truly compete in international 
caliber competitions, you're going to see some of these uh, athletes sticking their heads out. And uh, the truth is that China has a lot of amazing athletes and they have a lot of people, all sorts of sizes and heights and speed. And, and so uh, they're, you know, that stereotype that uh, they might not be sports inclined is, is I, I think false. And generally they, they, they're healthy athletic people uh, that are looking for some more leadership and, and expertise. Talk to us a little bit about, and try to lay out the landscape of all the sports that we're familiar with in China with regards to their popularity in comparison to what they are here. Things like basketball and hockey or other. And then maybe point to a couple of sports that are really growing fast in China that we might be surprised to know of. Over the last 20 years, there's always been badminton and um, ping pong and martial arts, which we're, we're the starting point. And so uh, it's not like this is all brand new, but um, some more Western sports per se uh, that have gained popularity uh, soccer and basketball would be the two main um, sports uh, there. So, uh, the NBA commissioner about a year ago said there's 300 million uh, basketball players right now in China, which is staggering. Uh, soccer, interestingly enough, it would be about 10% of that. Um, and, and that could be to the lack of a Yao Ming. Uh, but, uh, you're, yeah, you're looking at those 30 million soccer players, which is still a, a substantial chunk. Tennis is, is quite a popular sport, uh, as well over there and growing that that's, a, around 15 million, but also growing 15%. So there, there is a combination of the, the team sports and the, the individual sports. Some sort of, uh, more random, uh, ones, I, I'd say figure skating, uh, winter sports is quite popular over a million figure skaters across China. It works well, you know, they've performed well in world championships and on the international stage. So probably no huge surprise, but uh, if you're comparing that to hockey, which is still around 10, 15,000 participants. So figure skating is, it just shows the, the big difference between hockey in its early stage and everything the NHL is trying to do in winter Olympics. And then you got figure skating, which is already has a million, uh, million competitors rowing is making a push the uh shanghai is hosting the 2021 uh, world championship so uh, a big driver for china and i didn't mention this earlier for the government is, is hosting these world events beijing 20, 2008 2022 but then a number of the ski championships the tennis masters etc fencing was one that i found cool as i said uh swimming Swimming is very popular uh, at the main level, not violent. So it's a safe sport and, and something that a lot of Chinese students are competing on. You perfectly segued into something else I wanted to ask you about. To put it bluntly, physicality in sport. I know that, you know, as kids, and I saw this because my kids went to school in China, there's a lot of individualism your personal success, you're, you're, you're kind of out to defeat your classmates on every test. Um, and it's so, so competitive that really your neighbor is your enemy almost always. Uh, and then, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious on team sports versus individual and the sports that involve a significant amount of physicality, let's call it hockey, North American football. How are those playing out in China? In terms of physicality, I think that it's important to recognize that there is a bit of a headwind for sports with uh, 
a lot of physical contact. That said, if you think about hockey and American football and here in North America now, it's not as physical as it used to be. I don't think the days of having goon hockey players where they're trying to take your head off and no one cares about concussions and, and uh, the safety of the, the player are, are the same now. Uh, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, it's important to provide sports in the China market that fit. Sports like football and hockey have had a, a lot of success and, and the parents are open to it. But for the general population, it's fair to say that there is a general consensus that uh, the more physical, the, the less likely that a, a mom or dad is going to jump right into it for their child. With regards to team sports versus individual, you know, I think there's benefits to both sides. Uh, the families in China are, you know, by nature, very individualistic and their students. You know, one thing that we look at for our business is Chinese families love one-on-one -on -one coaching for sports. It's something that, you know, is the first ask over there. Oh, how do I get a one-on-one -on -one session with a coach? It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, one-on-one -on -one skill development is important. But it's also important to be able to play as a team and learn from each other. So I, I think that generally the families there are making the choice. Sometimes an individual sport works well, like golf or tennis. Um, and, and then team sports have their own advantages. But I'm, I'm a big tennis player here in, in Cam, certified tennis pro. Being a lifelong uh, team sport player, you know, I, I've noticed that tennis pushes you to, to do things as an individual that you can hide behind in a team. I'm curious about parents and you mentioned the hockey, right? The goons and stuff. But one of the things that we know that comes along with hockey in Canada is the crazy parent is, you know, and, and that whole thing. I, I mean, it's funny because nowhere that I've seen anywhere else in any other sport than in hockey, do they have to spend as much energy and resources trying to teach parents how to be decent human beings when they're at the rink watching their kids play. What is that like in China? Is there any of that? <laughs> I'd say the enthusiasm and the competitiveness of parents is definitely similar in both markets. Uh, everyone, you know, people care about their kids. And uh, there's something about sports that, that gets the parents a little fired up on the sidelines. But um, it, it is an issue in China. I think one major difference is um, the lack of awareness and uh, just exposure to this sport. And so uh, it, in North America, you've got a lot of parents that are enthusiastic, but often they might have grown up playing that sport or they have, um, you know, their friends are playing or they see it on TV. And so there's just a general deeper sports IQ here in, in, in Canada, uh, where in China, the parents, you know, they're brand new to this. And so it, it's uh, in the past, I used to give my parents a hard time uh, for yelling stuff in the sidelines when they don't know what they're talking about. But I think that's only magnified by um, you know, the, just the newness of everything in China. And so, yeah, certainly enthusiasm is the same. Competitiveness is the same. Uh, that awareness is a little bit different. And uh, th there are similar cases of, of uh, episodes, we could say, in China. There, there are hockey fights in the, um, you know, in the stand, or parent fights and hockey in the stands. And uh, this stuff's all on the internet if anyone wants to do a search, but it, it's certainly there. Um, I would add, you know, one other difference in China is, is the parents are spending, uh, are willing to spend even more money, which sounds crazy. You know, you know how much it costs here to play AAA hockey or whatever, but uh, the, the willingness to buy extra ice time or anything that they can do to get their head, kid ahead in sport uh, they're definitely opening their checkbooks. Yeah, isn't that such a big difference, though? Because you're not driving 
Like for you, you are probably understanding that you need to drive your marketing towards the parents, even more so than you would in a North America environment. Yeah, uh, a lot of what we are doing is, is using our digital platform. So like the WeChat and uh, a lot of the apps and platforms that Chinese parents are on often to, to try and educate them on what is good and what is bad, bringing on guest speakers. So we do similar stuff like this, like a podcast, but we'll have the athletics director of a school and that school, uh, the athletics director will talk about how sports are important here on campus and what the life of a student athlete looks like. And so there's lots of you know, things that we take, take for granted here in Canada and in the sports world that the Chinese parents are just learning about. And they're very dedicated. They're very smart people, um, but they just are, are looking for that guidance. Um, and sports is something that you, you have to learn from others that have been through it and, and that understand. Well, and, and one of the things that I think, you know, what, what Sinosports is, is um, keying in on is that as you see this sudden rise and the Olympics have definitely helped that, right? And, and just being open to all things Western media, you know, and they're all now watching, you know, Friends and, and you know, all these other shows and things. But they're also seeing all the sports and the whole thing and the culture just downloading. And now they want it too. They like it. They're into it. They want to do it. But we don't have they don't have that tenure in sport that. The natural progression is you're a kid, you learn, you play, you get good, you might go to play at school, you might go to play professionally, and then you turn around and then you almost reinvest and continue that path by turning into a coach. So I would imagine that there's a pretty nascent landscape when it comes to coaching or even good coaching in China that just doesn't match up with the demand for having coaches to be able to fulfill the need to coach and run these teams of practices and all alike. And that's a lot of what I'm, I'm assuming that you guys are doing. But just talk a little bit about where you're trying to fill that gap. I mean, it's exciting to see the number of coaches in China that have, have taken on, uh, you know, their new careers or, or their passions. And, and they're, so there's certainly an uptick in interest and, and you know, graduates of universities that want to become coaches. Uh, the problem is that, yeah, as you alluded to, they, they don't have the kind of history and, and that um, ingrained uh, sports community around them from an early age. And so, uh, so not, not sitting here to bash the coaches because uh, it's, you know, they, they're giving it their best, but there, there's certainly some deficiencies um, that we do see. They're very results oriented and it's all about, all right, what's your score? Some advice that we just give is have, the kids having fun is the most important and and that's something that uh is you know getting better but it's not the natural starting point for kids they, you know they think let's make sure they win and then they'll have fun where uh, as we know in north america you gotta make sure they're having fun uh if, if they're gonna keep playing and win afterwards the uh, they're very just to be on the coaches they're very individual focused teamwork is is not their strong point and and something that north american coaches are able to help educate on how to work together and and make sure that the team is uh like working together properly overall you know they're getting better they um they're the more exchange we can have well we're talking to some of the national bodies about how do you get more coaching certification into china coach the coaches uh and, and that's something that we're extremely um interested in and, and something that there's high demand on the ground in china have you any experience with having athletes that you've been involved with that have then tried to make the leap across the ocean and come and involve themselves 
uh, whether it's going to the next level, whether they go north to Russia to play in the KHL, they want to come over and play in the NHL, what have you, or just go to get into universities and teams. Have you experienced and and watch a player that you've been familiar with try to make that jump? And how has that gone for them? What what have they succeeded at? What have they struggled with when they do that? Yeah, we, I mean, we've had a number of opportunities to work with the, the Chinese athletes as they come over here, whether it's for a short-term camp or a competition. And um, simply, there, there's shock for sure, but I'd say it's, it's positive shock. Um, you know, anytime you've, you're in a new environment as an athlete, you your kind of senses are, are going full on and it's... Um, that new experience is really getting the adrenaline going, but uh, generally, it's, it's generally it's positive shock. Uh, they see that these coaches are amazing. That you know the kids are having fun, the teamwork, and the energy, and and just the environment is something that uh, it's hard to describe to them when they're on the ground in China, and something that they really have to experience for themselves here. At, you know, as they come in, probably yeah, they're they're positive and shocked about uh, how great it is, but there's a bit of a dose of reality at times. Uh, when you go from being the, the best kid on your team uh, back in in China to being you know with some peers here that are at the elite level, it can be humbling. Uh, but you know that's that's what the, the athletes want, and and you see the energy and how they they really uh, thrive under under the community that they're in. Obviously, we know we're living in a pandemic right now, so everything is upside down. But what are next steps uh, for Sino Sports? What are your plans? How are you dealing with COVID, I guess? But then really kind of where everything that we're always forward looking to, I think, is is always we're picturing a world post-COVID, right? And all our plans and strategies for the future. So what are your plans and strategies for the future look like for Sino Sports? So COVID's uh, no doubt been uh, a challenge for us uh you know, we're based originally we're founded on uh, increasing human contact between coaches and players uh, in this both markets. So we, without being able to send coaches there, bring kids here, we we had to go back and reevaluate. Um, but it has ended up being, a, for the most part, a silver lining. Uh, we have transitioned or pivoted, as they say, to really focusing on how do we connect the two markets using digital platforms. So without um, physical uh, face-to-face uh, training, we're really narrowing in on what kind of products can we provide here uh, for coaches from coaches that will help with the training in China. Uh, so we're putting together a platform for both individual sports training online, uh, whether it be uh, you know asynchronous. <laughs> whether it be uh, real time or recorded, we uh, are trying to connect the coaches and expertise here directly with the consumers in China on digital platforms that take away all the travel and the expenses uh, that are required. So it's a little bit revolutionary. Uh, as a passionate athlete, you know, face-to-face competition and training is what you love. But uh, it, you know, with all the technology and the tools that are available now, we are trying to take the coaches, put them on onto platforms and build programs that can help accelerate the growth and development of of Chinese sports without even having to get on an airplane. And so that's um, part of it's still information sharing. There's lots of, uh, you know, videos and, and articles, et cetera, that you can share remotely, but we've really doubled down on our um, virtual training, both in the group setting, uh, doing online courses and sports, uh, as well as individual. And, and how do we build the tech platforms to support that? I think we could both agree 
and I'll, I'll ask you directly, the future is incredibly bright just from a growth potential standpoint for sports in China, no? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's really early and, uh, you know, the passion's there. It's It's got all the right drivers and um, it's going to take a bit of time. Uh, you know, we're still pioneering in many ways, but uh, I, you know, as we move forward, especially for foreign companies in China, uh, sports is something that you can't reverse engineer. So, uh, you know, I came back from pretty extensive experience working with foreign companies in China, helping them protect their business and defend their position. And um, sports are, are a sector right now that China is desperate and, and eagerly looking for foreign expertise. Uh, and, and I have recognized that they can't just do it alone. And so I encourage uh, anyone... You know, potential partners or uh, even investors, uh, you know, that's our, our mission and we're going to continue to do it. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, how can anybody who wants to get in touch with you, support you or take advantage of what Sino Sports is doing? How do they reach you? How do they find you? How do they get in touch? Yeah, emails great. Radley at SinoSportsDevelopment.com. Uh, you can check out our website at SinoSportsDevelopment.com. Or uh, if you're a China-facing person, you can catch me on WeChat at uh, RadleyM. Okay, great. We will take that information and we will put it into the show notes in the description. Uh, so anybody watching this on YouTube or listening to the podcast can just look below and find the information. It should all be there. Easy for you to follow and click to and go through. One last question, Radley. Who are a couple of people, a couple of guests that you think, some people that you think really light up the microphone that you think we should have on the show? I'd, I'd probably have to go with... You can't say Xi Jinping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could get this guy, uh, Grandpa Xi, on here, that'd be pretty <laughs> cool. Um, I probably, my first thought goes to uh, some you know, other entrepreneurs I know um, that are focused on the China-Canada market. Uh, one guy that's been super helpful, uh, Jim Dunn. He um, was a close friend when we were on the ground in Shanghai and has been running a company called Stack Modular. That uh, so they are manufacturing uh, prefab uh, housing in China. And he, he's a BC-based guy that's all over the globe, but um, has uh, certainly established that sense. So, yeah, I think there I would, you know, on the sports front, there's a couple other guys in Mailman Group and stuff like that that are doing a good job. But Jim would be um, a, a guy I look up to professionally for sure. Radley, I really appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. This was such an awesome, uh, an awesome uh, topic, uh, and it's a great thing that you're doing. So, um, thanks for coming on the show, and wish you all the best success. Hey, Todd, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it's been great chatting with you. And I had another name come to mind as I just after I finished speaking. Uh, Mark Kristoffic is a, a guy I'm working with here in Ontario. Oh yeah, he runs a TV show called Ski TV, and uh, we've been working together for the last two years on providing winter sports content for the China market. So with the, the new drive with the 2022 games, uh, there, there's a big push for sports, winter sports content. And so we had a deal with uh, Xinhua News in our first first year. Uh, Mark was driving in at 69 million uh, views on Xinhua, over 100 million across their platform. And he's creating and editing all the content. And we're working on some cool uh, esports, uh, real sports concepts and, and helping brands sponsor that content yeah. to get exposure in China. So Mark would be a great guy, too. Absolutely. Thanks again and appreciate taking the time. It's great. It was my pleasure, buddy. Thanks again for coming on the show. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. 
when you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.